Well, last week we were looking at the uh, section verses 15 through to 16, those two verses there, the great anticipation of the crowds. Uh, is this the Messiah? Speaking of John the Baptist and the great temptation John the Baptist has to uh, think higher of himself than he ought, a temptation that comes to each and every one of us. But John resists the temptation. He's very emphatic, I am not the Christ. And he points to one who is coming um, and saying he's not worthy even to unlatch this one's sandals, the most menial of tasks he's unworthy of. Uh, and he points towards what Christ is going to do. I do something that's a picture of what Jesus will actually do. Uh, I baptise with water, and that's an outward picture of what Jesus Christ is going to do. He will baptise with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And I want to focus on that this morning, a baptism with fire. So John the Baptist is one who points away from himself to Jesus. My baptism, says John, it's only a picture and it's external, but his baptism is the real deal. I'm a shadow. I'm one who points. I'm a signpost away from me to him. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's a wonderful truth that to secure our salvation, the triune God is involved. It's not simply the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not simply the Holy Spirit, it's not simply the Father. The triune God is involved. The Father sends his Son. The Son willingly comes and hears the heart of the gospel. Our problem is sin. You're listening this morning. Children, has your sin been dealt with at home? Adults, children, your biggest problem is sin. And God so loved the world, he gave Jesus, his only begotten Son, the eternal Son of God, he gave him. Why? To take away our biggest problem. Religion won't do it. Morality won't do it. I can't do it myself. God does it for me. The Father sends the Son. The Son comes to take away my sin. He lives a perfect life. And then he dies the death that I deserve. The life he lives for me, because I can't do it, the death he dies for me, now I can do that, but I'd be forever paying that penalty. But he does it for me. How do I know it's true? He rose again from the dead. He's alive. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, well, I, I will apply this message to the hearts of children, young people and adults throughout the rolling generations. I'll give them New life, and I'll work in their hearts, and I'll change them to be more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Spirit comes to apply the work of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ lived and died 2,000 years ago. He rose again 2,000 years ago, but he's alive today. How do I know it's all true? Here's the work of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who makes it real. So the Holy Spirit comes to my life. It could be this morning. It could be here in the chapel. It could be there at home in your lounge or your wherever you're watching right now. We did this yesterday at the men's breakfast. Uh, Richard was leading us through having a new heart. And this will be familiar to you. 
Uh, if this represents the real you, your soul, a hand, your soul. Now, your soul has a mind that thinks and a heart with affections and a will that acts and a memory and a conscience. But none of these are the real you. The real you is at the centre of it all. It's your mind, your heart, your will, your conscience, your memory. But the real you is at the centre. The inner man, the control room, the I, the id, the, the ego, me, you. And before you are a Christian, you have a disposition to please self. It's all me, I, mine, I did it my way. But the first work of the Holy Spirit, who was sent from the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father, he proceeds from the Father and the Son, the first work he does in applying the work of Jesus is he throws a switch here and he changes the disposition from self to God. It's called new life. It's called regeneration. But then the Holy Spirit comes along and... He enlightens your thinking and your heart, your affections and your will. And once you have new life, when you hear the gospel, yeah, I am a sinner and I hate my sin. And Jesus died for me and he rose again. And you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's new life. It's evidence of new life. And your conscience tells you all that you do is wrong. And your memory, you're ashamed of things that you've done. And so you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and regeneration becomes now sanctification. He begins to change your life. Now we looked at those things last week and they're all things we're familiar with. Growth in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, regeneration, sanctification. But what I want to think about for a little while this morning is another work of the Holy Spirit and he does it here and it affects every one of these. We could call it an unction. It's another vital work of the Holy Spirit. Three simple things I want to do this morning. What is it? Why does it happen? And how can I know this for myself? Now, there's an eminent preacher who's now in glory called Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And uh, he came to a similar verse to this, but he chose the verse in John's Gospel. It's the same words, I baptise you with water, but there stands one among you who will baptise with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And he did 41 sermons on that verse. And they've been put together uh, in a book, which you can still get, which uh, I read and reread. I've got several copies and they're underlined. And uh, I find it so heartwarming and helpful. It's called Joy unspeakable, the 41 sermons of Lloyd-Jones uh, on this unction, this work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give one, and uh, every opportunity I have, so maybe at Pentecost and on occasions like this, when the verse is right before me, uh, I will preach on this subject. The Puritans, as you read through their works, I've got John Owen here this morning for an example that speak of this particular work of the Holy Spirit. But with the Puritans, it's scattered throughout their works. What Lloyd-Jones did very helpfully is bring much of their works uh, together under this subject. So, first of all, what is this that we are speaking uh, about? Well, it is experimental Christianity. It is experimental 
Christianity. And if Christianity means anything at all, it means a living relationship with the living God. And ask a question. How do I know that I am converted? How do I know that I'm saved? What are my grounds of assurance? There's a hymn that we could have sung, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. How do I know I am saved? Well, Christianity is experimental in this area. Experimental by deduction. I mean, I'm a chemist by training and profession. And uh, as a chemist, I would do experiments. I'd look at the results and I'd draw conclusions. So how do I know I'm converted this morning? Well, I could do a deductive experiment. I could say, well, I read the Bible. And it says, if I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I will be saved. So I have trusted in him. Therefore, deduction, I am saved. The Bible gives lots of tests I can apply to myself. And the Bible does say, test yourself, examine yourself, see whether or not you are in the faith. So I look at my life and I think, am I changing? Are things different now? Things are different now. Something's happened to me since I gave my heart to Jesus. Things are different now. Something's happened to me since I gave my life to him. There are things in my life after 44 and a half years as a Christian by the grace of God, things in my life that have changed. I mean, I was converted when I was 19. It's hard to think back so very far. But I do have memories as to what I was and the direction I was going in. But some things happened to me. There's been a radical change. And there's no way I could have done it myself. There's no way... I could have kept it up for 44 years. So I look at the change and I deduce God is at work. Again, it's deductive. But what is being spoken of here in this particular work, it is not deductive. It is something direct. It is experimental in this way, not deductive, but experimental in the way of experiential there is something that is experienced it is direct and it is immediate Joseph Hart has a hymn with this wonderful line and it's often quoted true religion true Christianity now there's a level of Christianity that is all deductive and it's just well I read it and I'm pro too much Christianity is lived on the balance of probabilities. This is probably right. Very probably right. Therefore, I will base my life on this. But if that's all it is, it is Christian religion at its most base. And it puffs people up. It leaves them arrogant and proud. It means they're prone to wander and to fall and to fail. But there's more to true religion than mere notion. True religion is more than notion. Something must be known. Yes, known. I've got to understand things. But thank God it doesn't stop there. Something must be known and felt. Something must be known and felt. 
Now, those feelings are up and down. They come and go. There can be feelings of human emotion. But at times, there's such a feeling that invades my heart from heaven that is very, very wonderful and is part of our heritage. And it's what the Lord has for us. And it's something we ought to recognize and something we ought to seek. So I've got some examples from Scripture and some quotations from a few well-known Puritans. And then we'll, uh, well, we'll come to a conclusion, sing our final hymn and go home. But I hope it wouldn't be left there. I hope the Lord will work in our hearts to seek more of the reality of the experimental part of our faith. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love. God's love, now the words here are very expressive, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, here's a profusion. How much are you and I aware this morning of the love of God? The authorised version puts it in a very poetic manner. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts here in the ESV and other versions poured out this isn't a trickle something being poured out into our hearts and it is the love of God now there's a quite a doer Puritan called William Guthrie and he makes this particular comment on this verse this pouring out of the love of God this work of the Holy Spirit It is a glorious divine manifestation. Now get that. Not deduction. There are things I can deduce. I deduce God loves me. I can deduce it from his word and the work he's done and is doing and will do by faith in my life. But here is a manifestation, says Guthrie. It is a glorious divine from God. A divine manifestation of God into the soul, shedding abroad God's love in the heart. Now listen to this. I have to agree. It is a thing better felt than spoken of. It is no audible voice, but it is a ray of glory filling the soul with God as he is life, light, love and liberty corresponding to that audible voice, oh man, greatly beloved, putting the man into a transport. It doesn't mean into a car or a bus. Uh, into a rapture. It's not constant. It is on occasions. It could be in a service. It could be when you're singing a hymn. It's often under the word of God being preached, but it could be you're just going about your business. Maybe you're at work. 
Scroll through that list I've got again. I'll mention the van driver again. You're driving your, your van or you're in the factory or you're doing a, a lesson at school or you're listening to a lesson or you're peeling the potatoes or you're singing a hymn. And he suddenly comes and sheds abroad his love in your heart. This is not a deduction. Uh, this is something direct to our souls. Let me look at another one that's going to Romans. We looked at this about this time last year. Romans chapter 8, let me read verse 15, but verse 16 is the key one here. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. We cry. I say something, you say something. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. And here's the verse. The Spirit himself, this is something direct, bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. This is something direct. I don't deduce this. I do the right things. We'll come on to this in, in a moment. I need to read the Bible. I need to pray. But I do it with the attitude of seeking the reality and not just out of the routine. True religion is more than notion. If I, if I have no time for the experimental dimension, the experiential dimension, it will be enough for me to read my bits, say my prayers, go through that list, shut the book and go about my daily business. But my friend, it gets us little. It gets us nothing, actually. It gets us nowhere at all. And we keep on die, living at this poor dying rate. But if I remind myself what it's all about, this book leads me to an encounter with Jesus Christ who brings me to the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit and my soul ought to be thirsting for him. Not just for head knowledge, not just for heart knowledge, not just for something to change my life, but for him. Here is something direct. Several more we could go through. Let's choose just another one or two. Here we are. Ephesians chapter Let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. There are a few in Ephesians we could look at. I'll, I'll miss some out. Just let's go to this. Ephesians 3, here's a prayer of Paul. Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened by power through his spirits, in your inner being, in, in here, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now, not the affections, but in the centre of who you are, through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength, together with all the saints, to know, to comprehend the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do abundantly more all that you can ask or imagine. One more, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 8, where Peter says, even though you're suffering, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. 
Now, let me make one or two comments here. Too much Christianity is by deduction. Too little Christianity is by encounter and apprehension. This thought came to me last night. I woke up about two in the morning. thought, what shall I do now? thought about the morning sermon. thought about, what are we getting at here? Here's a couple who love each other. Remember when you first met? And uh, all the joy of, of meeting. Come together there, meet. Got an evening together. And uh, spend time together. What would you do? Do you make a list about what you love about the other person? I just think about the other person now. Hey, they are in the room with you. I'll just think about the other person now. Oh, I, I, I love his eyes and the way he laughs and the smile. And, and then, and you send your friend a text. Oh, this is what I love about Fred. So I love about Cynthia. And then, oh, back, back to your list. And, oh, and, and I, I, these are the things that I'd love to do with uh, Fred or, or Cynthia. And you make your little list and then you, you send your friend uh, a text about your, your friend. But all the time, your lover is there in the room and you're thinking about them and what they're like. Wouldn't you rather just put the list down and meet with your beloved? And, and so much, I think, of my own Bible reading and my church attendance is all about, oh, here's a lovely list I, I could make. And people post on Facebook and send texts and put on WhatsApp and, and Instagram about how great this person is, but have they really spent time with the person they're speaking about? And he's there in the room with them, but they're thinking about him, but they're not actually enjoying him. And Christianity, you see, if this were not true and something to seek and something to know, I'd give up and go back to being a chemist. More profit in that than dead Christianity. Away with it. I want nothing to do with it. Never have done, never will do. May God keep me to this as long as he draws my breath. And if I'm ever going to forsake this, I'd rather be dead and there in the reality than deny this or to, del- to leave this. Embrace him. And I was thinking about our hymn book. Now, we started with a hymn that's a very great modern hymn. But if it has a fault, it's this. It speaks about Jesus. It's telling myself about Jesus. It's telling other people about Jesus. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer. There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy. I could put it on WhatsApp. I could put it on Instagram. He is my joy, my righteousness, my freedom, my steadfast love. I can go through all this list. No fate I dread. I know I am forgiven. The future's sure. With every breath I long to follow Jesus, for he has said that he will bring me home. Lovely. Now, most hymns in our hymn book are like that. But there are some hymns that are very special. They're different. They actually talk to him. If I were in a room with you and you were making a list about me and sending texts, I wouldn't be very impressed. If you start to talk to me, it's what I want. It's what I want. Remarkably, it's what he wants. So the second hymn was of this wonderful dimension. And so we can sing it to him. Speak, I pray thee, gentle Jesus. 
Oh, how passing sweet thy words, breathing o'er my troubled spirit. Peace which never earth affords. I've tried it, doesn't work. All the world's distracting voices, all the enticing tones of ill. At thy accents, mild melodious, are subdued. Tell me thou art mine, O Saviour. Grant me an assurance clear. Banish all my dark misgivings, still my doubting calm, my fear. Look for hymns like that. There are many, I could have read many times moving on, so I won't bother. You could go through the hymn book yourself and notice those two types of hymns. Hymns about him, hymns to him. The hymns to him are mainly written in times of revival by William Williams and and Charles Wesley and, and folks of that ilk. Hymns about him are written today when we know little of this experimental dimension. But this is our heritage. Why is this important? Two reasons why this unction is important. Number one, it gives me a deep assurance. It gives me a deep assurance. It rides above the deductive and it brings me into the realities. There's a story of the Puritan John Flavel. A very wonderful man to read. Very readable, very warm in all his... uh, written works but he speaks about an occasion when for an hour he's lost in rapture Uh, God suddenly comes to him he's just riding through the woods and uh, God comes to him and uh, it lasts for about an hour then he goes back to the inn where he's staying and he reflects then later in years as to what happened there and he says this I understood more in that hour about God than through all the books I'd ever written, read in my entire Christian life. <laughs> I understood more. Now, he's not saying you don't read, and we do read, and we must read, and make sure, my friend, you're reading good books. We can make time for so many things. Can we make time for, for him? But this sense of God's presence, and it can come to a preacher as he's preaching. There's a story of a man uh, a, a preacher who uh, he's preaching on the resurrection uh, and suddenly he stops and he shouts out to the congregation ha, I believe the resurrection and then he carries on preaching there's an incredible power comes of course he believes the resurrection yes but now he really really believes the resurrection God comes and highlights a particular doctrine You could read the same passage, maybe read it a thousand times, then suddenly you read it again, and he comes with amazing power. Here's a foretaste of glory divine, a blessed assurance. Secondly, why? Power to witness. Do you ever feel totally useless in your family or your place of work or in the neighborhood? When he comes, when he comes. Stay in Jerusalem, says Jesus, for you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. And there are times when suddenly it's a God-given opportunity. We can pass it up so often, but then suddenly he comes, we'll take it, and there's a power and an effect in our witnessing. Now, finally, very briefly, how do we approach this? Number one, Just two things. Number one, how do we receive this? Number one, ask. Ask, seek, and knock. 
We've had this verse so often. Luke eleven thirteen. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In the hymn here, speak, I pray thee, gentle Jesus. Come, Spirit, my soul doth groan. Another hymn uh, by William Williams. So ask. Secondly, finally, be. Be. Put yourself in the way of these things. Acts 5, verse 32. Uh, God gives his Holy Spirit to those who obey him. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. John 14, 21. Obey my commandments and I will manifest myself to you, says Jesus Christ. Oh, says John, I only baptise you with water, but there's one coming after me. I'm not unworthy to untie his sandals. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that work of the Holy Spirit is wonderful. Regeneration sanctification, there are many works. I mean, some theologians note there are, there are seven. Uh, there's uh, our glorification, uh, our resurrection bodies, all this work and fashioning of the Holy Spirit. But here's one, divine unction, that sense of reality, that experimental reality. Now, for me, I can think back on times in my life when that has been a reality, something I always would seek for and in our quiet times in our church services even now what are we about we're seeking him for he alone makes the difference let's pray shall we father thank you for a brief time in your word in a a delicate area we pray lord we can so often think wrong in this area we do pray lord you'd help us to see the reality of the wonder of knowing God as a present reality. We do pray, Lord, you would help us day by day to strive to make Jesus Christ the center of our lives and to know that wonder of experiencing his presence with us. Help us, give us that blessed assurance, give us power to witness to our families, our work colleagues, our friends, and our neighbors. We are to shine in the places where you've placed us, but we feel so inadequate. Oh God, have mercy upon us. May there be such a time of personal revival, church-wide revival, national revival, that again, buildings like these will be filled to bursting with people praising and asking the question, what must I do to be saved? Help us, we ask, to God be the glory, we pray. Amen.